Hey, what's up, Marty? We're recording. All right, sounds good. So uh, let's just go ahead and introduce yourself real quick, just kind of like who you are, what you've done, and you know what's going on in your life right now, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, Marty Scovland Jr. Uh, always throw the junior on there. Shout out to my dad, uh, the, the OG Marty Scovland. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a, these days I guess I'm kind of what I would describe as a multimedia journalist. Um, I do camera stuff, um, uh, do photography, video. Um, work for a uh, black rifle coffee company and run for them. I'm the, uh, editor of coffee or die magazine. So, uh, has me going all over the place, doing stories that largely revolve around, um, the military veterans, first responders. And then just, I would say just a kind of a broad, generally like adventurous type lifestyle. Um, so that's what I do. I've been, I've been with them since, uh, well in that role anyway, since, um, I don't know, the beginning of 2018. So we're coming up on two years now doing that. Um, but yeah, I guess before that, I mean, I grew up in South Dakota, was in the army for eight years. Um, and uh, after that, just kind of have slowly, after I got out of the military, um, kind of just slowly made my way into this, like I said, storytelling kind of right. uh, career field. So South Dakota, you're South Dakota, that's one of those states where I never knew if like people actually come from you're probably one of the first people i ever met that actually said they came from south dakota i mean i know i know the state exists but it's just like one of those places like, i'm like you i've been in the military i was in the military for like you know almost a decade and a half and there's just never there's there are people from everywhere else but there's just never anyone from south dakota what's it like growing up there <laughs> so i think i'm the first for many people that's a common uh sentiment that i get um and yeah usually it's uh, you, usually when I meet people, they're like, oh, you're from South, they're, they're either very confused about where we're located in the country. They're like, oh yeah, that's right below West Virginia. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> nope, it's like right below North Dakota, which is right below Canada. Like, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's not, I mean, there's not a lot of people there. I think we've got maybe seven or 800,000 in the whole state. Um, you know, I'd like to think that maybe they've boosted them numbers, but I'm not, I don't want to get bold and say that we're over a million yet. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was uh but yeah i grew up in a small town two hours from the nearest interstate um i wasn't actually one of a lot of people here that are from south dakota they assume that i was like a farmer or a rancher which a lot of people are farmers or ranchers from there but um i mean i lived in town my dad was a mechanic uh, worked on the railroad and a few other places that mechanic and um you know my mom uh, did a couple of different things um ended up teaching for a while and yeah so i kind of grew up in town and you know uh, just, I don't know, I feel like it was a normal childhood, but then when you talk to other people or you get out into the world and like, for me, I, I joined the army and left like two days. I mean, I graduated high school on Sunday and I left on a Tuesday. So I quickly found out that maybe my experiences growing up in South Dakota are not exactly the same as everybody else's just because like, I couldn't tell you, like at that time, I'd never been on a subway, couldn't tell you how to read a subway map. I, you know, didn't. I literally, when I got to my first duty station in Savannah, Georgia, there's a ton of one-way streets there. I'd never driven on a one-way street. I'd heard about this mythical one-way road before, but I'd never actually <laughs> driven on one. So I was a terrible driver. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like things. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, it was good though. Like, I, I think it was kind of like a, you know, I ended up you know, being stationed in uh, just outside of Syracuse for three years in Auburn and central New York actually 
a lot in common with South Dakota as far as like it's a lot of you know good old boys who you know in high school they're you know parking the back of a pickup truck up against a bonfire in the middle of a farm field somewhere and and drinking natty light all all through the night you know and 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 like that was kind of my high school experience you know I mean I I played some sports and I think I was probably a mediocre student just because I really um probably didn't put as I was capable of um and uh yeah so kind of a mediocre student mediocre athlete kind of just mediocre at a lot of stuff and you know like to go out and party and go hunting go fishing and and uh yeah before I knew it I was you know off and, and doing other things so uh why don't you just go ahead I mean it is kind of like a dad podcast at least it's a podcast where dads come together and talk about we have to have you introduce or not introduce, but just kind of talk about your wife and your kids and like, you know, what your yeah. life is like right now with uh, being a father, being a husband. Yeah. So I just kicked them out of my apartment here so that I could do this. Uh, nice. Thank you. Uh, we need to go get uh, um, uh, snowshoes uh, for the upcoming winter. So this was the opportunity I chose to, Hey, go get, go get some snow boots and, and, and get the kid ready. But um, no, my daughter, her name is Lydia. She's five years old. Um, she just started kindergarten this year, so we're pretty excited about that. And um, yeah, my wife, uh, her name's Lauren. We actually met when I was, um, I had just got back from my first deployment in 2006. And then it took me till 2007 to talk her into being my girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, we got married in 2009. Um, and then, um, God, we had Lydia in about five years later, 2014, August 2, 2014. So um, I think we kind of, you know, we took things one step at a time for sure. But uh, when we had my daughter, we definitely weren't planning on it at that point. I just, we were kind of still figuring things out and then found out on New Year's Eve, actually, that, oh, you're pregnant. <laughs> like, um and I mean, we were both excited. It wasn't like one of those deals where you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It was just more like, oh, we weren't really planning on it right now. But also we kind of knew that this was something that we wanted to do, to do like generally around this time. So right. it kind of all worked out and yeah. So uh, I know, I've, I've, not, I've known, or I know you my face or something for like years now. I want to say all the way back to like 2012. Um, when you were a recruiter up here at uh, the Syracuse area, I was uh, stationed at Fort Drum, and um, me and my friend used to drive down on the weekends to go work out at CrossFit Syracuse. And yeah, I just, it's it's weird, like because I didn't really know you, but I was watching like a Black Rifle or uh, one of their videos they were doing. I'm like, dude, I know this guy from somewhere. And so obviously, you know, I, I got you know little creep vibes and started going on and like you know looking and find out who you are. I'm like, dude, I know this guy. And so I did an investigation, looked at a lot of my old pictures. I'm like, oh, there he is. But uh, you know. Obviously, I guess the military took you to um, <laughs> to Syracuse. Uh, when did you and how did you get into the military? Yeah, I mean, um, so I I think I kind of always knew. I mean, my family, just about every, I would say the majority of males on my dad's side of the family were served in the military in some capacity or another. I think I kind of knew that that was something that I would end up doing as I was growing up, but I didn't know like specifically what direction I was going to go in. And um, so I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that can claim that like, oh, 9-11 happened and I joined because of that. I think I kind of knew even before that happened. Certainly that event, I think for, you know, just like a lot of people that certainly probably solidified me in the resolve to go into the military. But, um, you know, that happened when I was a sophomore in high school. So 
I ended up joining the army, like going into the delayed entry program between my junior and senior year of high school. And then, like I said, my ship date was, I graduated on Sunday, was headed to Fort Benning on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, just enough time to kind of recover from the senior party and then head down to Georgia. So, um, yeah, that was the of 2005 for me, though. Um, did basic training, kind of had that rough transition of, um, I think, any kid that grows up up north, north of the Mason-Dixon has when they go down to the deep south and has to all of a sudden do all this physical activity in the middle of the summertime down there and um had kind of a rough transition with that but you know eventually made it uh and um yeah i actually had a pretty big hiccup because i got shot in basic training so I had to come home for convalescent leave for a couple months and and then come back and restart with a different basic training company i'm um, not day one but like start pick up where i left off sort of thing and um yeah i got done with that i went to airborne school um and then we kind of hit that Christmas exodus where you got to come home for like 40 days or something like that. We hit that, that break just perfect to where I got a shit ton of time off. Um, as a very, uh, as a had no business in the army having that much time off and, yeah. and like I, hands truly are the devil's playground. And, um, that really shouted to me. So, um, came back from that. And, uh, from there I had a ranger contract. So I went to time it was called the Ranger Indoctrination Program. Now it's the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. Um, made it through that and then ended up being assigned to uh, Charlie Company First Ranger Battalion, and that's where I was. That's where I like said yes, that's uh, Army Airfield where one seven five is, and uh, um, yeah, like I said, met my wife down there. She was going to school at the Savannah College of Art and Design. It's kind of a trope of one seven five guys that they end up marrying scab girls, and that was definitely yeah. true for me. Um, did three deployments to Iraq, two to Afghanistan while I was there. Um, and then it was between my fourth and fifth deployment that I, uh, we got married and that was kind of at that point. And she'd been with me through four out of those five deployments so, or what would be the four out of those five deployments. And, you know, she was graduating college and, um, uh, I was, I probably didn't want to admit it to myself at the time, but I was probably getting, um, tired too. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, she wanted to go back up to the Northeast of Boston and, wanted me to get out of the army. I didn't really want to get out of the army. And so we kind of figured out like, well, what is the one thing I can do in the army that allows me to go up to Boston or, or pick a very specific place in the country? Maybe there's not a military base or an army base nearby, but stay in the military. And that thing was recruiting. So um, I was told that if I volunteered for recruiting, that I would get to pick where I wanted to go. And uh, <laughs> it was, uh, what, what's that line? It was one of the classic blunders. Right. Uh, I fell for one of the classic blunders. Um and uh, so we ended up not in Boston, uh, Syracuse, in a small town of Auburn, New York, um, which turned out great. I mean, we were still driving distance away from Lauren's family and yeah. and everything like yeah. that. And I really genuinely, we made some lifelong friends out in, in New York. And um, But yeah, that would end up being where I spent the last three years. I was in the Army as a recruiter and uh, got out. And yeah, but yeah, that was kind of my Army adventure, I guess. Yeah. Now, did you... Uh... So I guess you decided you were going to get out probably by the time you were in the recruiting in Syracuse. Was that just like, was that like a perfect timing for you to kind of like reflect and think about things and like kind of figure out what you want to do when you get out? Because you do, you do going from like being in like, you know, in a range of battalion and going to, you know, where it's always go, 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 go. And now you're kind of just a recruiter and you got time to kind of like, like, I guess play like, like do like regular army stuff or, you know, or think about things where you're not always a cool guy with a cool haircut, you know, 
sliding out or fast being on a helicopter or whatever it is that you guys do. But was that kind of like a time that you had like, you know, reflect and like realize that you were done and you want to do something else for your life? Um, I think certainly in retrospect, it probably worked out that way. Um, but that was not my intention right. going into it. And I, and I definitely didn't know I was getting out of the army and probably inside six months of my ETS day. Um, when I like pulled the trigger on making that decision. So when I went out there, that, that idea was, all right, I'll go volunteer to do this recruiting thing for three years. Give Lauren a break. You know, we'll go live kind of this like pseudo normal lifestyle, you know, right. not living on an army base or anything like that. It's, you're not really outside of your fellow recruiters, not around the army, you know? Um, so it'd be like this pseudo pseudo normal lifestyle. And then, um, my idea was I was going to, so I was an 11 Bravo at the time, but my last two deployments while I was in Ranger Battalion, I was um, augmenting our technical surveillance section. And I really liked doing that work. And there's a um, even more elite unit that kind of specialized in doing that sort of thing. And uh, I kind of had my eyes set on going that direction. And um, so my idea was, okay, I'll go do three years of recruiting. <clears throat> and then after that, I'll change my MOS to be a uh, cryptological linguist, go to DLI for a couple of years. And, um, and then after that, put in my packet to go to selection for this, this other unit and, and go do even more cool guy things um, than I was doing in battalion. And uh, so, and I went all the way through, um, you know, I went and took the, what's the language test, the DLPT or the, the D lab. I took the yeah, yeah. language aptitude battery, crushed that, did really well, um, had my packet all put together, had everything set up. And then um, it was kind of like right at the last minute I'd started, I wrote this thing that was just kind of this, um, and I ended up calling it the Ranger, but it was just this recurring, it wasn't like a flashback or anything. It's not like that sort of thing. I feel like that's what people go to when I tell the story, but like, right. it's just a recurring memory I had of getting re ready for a mission on my fourth deployment and just having it kind of hit me that um, like, wow, like I'm in a like really special place and around really special people. Like this is not, um, this, you know, what, how, just really how lucky I was to serve with the people that I was in, in that unit and doing the things that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And it just really stayed with me. And so, like I said, it was like, I don't know, seven or eight months away from my ETS day when I was sitting on the couch and it was, you know, probably the better part of my way through a, a 12 pack of beer and um i wasn't like wasted or anything obviously it takes a lot more than that to get me to that point but, but it was you know maybe my uh a little bit more accessible than they normally are you know lubricated by alcohol and i decided to write that thing down and it was halfway decent so i put it on like i put it on the internet it ended up going kind of like viral through the military community and um before i knew it i had people like asking me for to put it on like a print or on a shirt or something and I ended up starting this like side business that I thought was just going to be like a way to like, you know, we were renovating our house in Auburn at the time. I was like, oh man, I'll be able to get some nicer tile if I sell it. <laughs> it kind of blew up on me, like to the point where a couple months later, uh, it was like, I don't know if it's the right decision to re-enlist because I feel like I'll always wonder what if I, what would have happened if I didn't pursue this business opportunity that I kind of come into. And um, it kept doing really well. And, and um, I think you got, I think it's like you have to make the no shit call uh, like 90 days out from ETS. And at that point, I, you know, went to my leadership was like, hey, so I know you've been giving me all this time off from work to like go get ready for the D lab and get ready for this PCS. But it turns out I'm going to get out of the army now. <laughs> and so I think they all kind of looked at me like, 
okay, we're this whole time to get out of like going out and do like recruiter stuff or, and I'm like, and I'm not that type of person. I was never that type of person to do something like that. It legitimately was just like, man, I really feel like this is an opportunity here. Right. That I, you know, and my idea was like, man, I'm a recruiter. I know how to get back into the army. If it turns out to be a bad decision, like I know how to get back into this thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I felt like it was like the safer decision to get out and, and yeah, so I felt like I was a pretty effective planner, but it turned out like, you know, getting out of the army is even for the best planner. It's, it's like, it is not as easy as you think it'll be. There's right. stuff come up and I didn't even have like, dude, I've got all four limbs. I'm not like, you know, super screwed up from war or anything like that. It was still like a difficult transition to sound and, um, uh, but you know what we made through there, but yeah, I did not like going into recruiting in retrospect, yes, it was a great step down to like kind of like get back in that civilian mindset, right? And get out of that because that for the recruiters I was with that first couple of months, I was way too intense. Like, <laughs> and I wasn't even like the most intense ranger out there. Like, you talk to rangers I was with, they're like, oh yeah, Marty was like not like the most intense dude by any means, but like you go out to recruiting, you take it down a step, you know? Yeah. And so I think it was definitely, I think I definitely did myself a favor in the grand scheme of things of like having that step down to working out of a recruiting office, having to learn to talk like a civilian again, throwing army lingo into every other word, just that I was like cussing every other word. Yeah. And um, obviously when you go into, you know, Jimmy's parents' house and, and uh, you know, skinny Atlas, like they're not going to be <laughs> thrilled about, you know, this in there and dropping the f-bomb every other every other yeah. sentence you know so i think it got me back into that mindset of you know being a normal person settling down um i had a few people that i knew on the next deployment the first deployment i didn't go on because i was at recruiting a couple people i knew died and it was like oh you know processing yeah. okay i'm not not that i have any illusions about like oh if i would have been there they would have died not that at all i mean i wasn't that like that guy but you know you do kind of like feel bad about like not being there for the guys and right. like being there for your friends and and not contributing to the mission or you know and and so i think being able to go through that with while still being in the military to some degree is a lot easier than it is going through that as just a pure civilian right you know um so i think it did help in a lot of ways for sure now what was the what was because what was the uh, transition like for you? Because I know you, you've already kind of said it was, you know, it was kind of difficult getting out. Like, you never know what to really expect. Um, you know, for me, like, like you, I did a long time in the military. When I got out, like, I was so, like, I mean, I got out as a first sergeant first class. I was already, you know, a, a platoon sergeant. So I've already invested a, a lot of my life into, you know, the Army. Um, so when I got out, I didn't really invest much into that. So when I got out, it, it was it was it was a little tough tough for me like trying to figure out where i'm gonna be in this world uh you know like i was planning on doing 20 years or longer just depending on how things went so i didn't I didn't really had much like much out here like prepare i wasn't really prepared what about you did you have a couple of, besides like, the little side gig you were doing did you have things that's ready for you yeah like i had like the pace plan locked down like I had spreadsheets. I had like going to those ACAT meetings. I was like, shut the fuck up. Let me tell you how to process out of the army. Like I had it. I thought I had it all figured out and had like all my plans in place and everything like planned down to a T. And, and I did like, you know, it's um, like, what's that saying about like a plan is only as good until you make first contact or something like that. And yeah, like that was like very true for me to where we had it. 
everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And just like in a in a way that like, man, I swear I'm the only person that that like a plan so, so, so catastrophically collapsed could only happen to me, you know, like and it just it, it turned into this thing where like, like I said, within a year of getting out, like we were in a pretty tough situation financially. We were, you know, trying to. The thing about it, too, is, you know, so there's like multiple things that complicated it of like trying to sell a house in Auburn, New York. And it turns out like when we bought that house, um, it's not as easy to sell a house there. And then and we had been told by our real estate agent, like, oh, this is a super nice house. You'll have no problem selling it. Turns out not a ton of people are trying to move to Auburn, no. you know. Um, and a lot of people that are moving there are not trying to buy a nicer house. They're on um, a little bit lower end of the income scale and that's and we did have like a nice house and, and that's something like i love that about the army that it gave me the opportunity to buy a nice house and everything but then when you get out and you're told you'll be able to sell it really quickly and you move to we moved to colorado and my wife had a job lined up out there and then literally on our as we were driving the u-haul out there she found out that they weren't going to give it to her because she didn't have a w-2 from the job that she got while she, when she first got out of college she oh, couldn't shit. find it and they, so then she didn't pass their background check. And we were like, literally like, you can just call the IRS and request a copy of the, like, it's not, and, but they like turned the job down. So now my wife didn't have a job. I was running this small business, which had certainly had a lot of problems. I was making in the army as a staff sergeant with SDAP and all that other stuff, you know, like in BH and like, and, and so all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, we're moving across the country. We're now responsible for rent and mortgage and, and my wife and so when I was getting out of the army, I was told by the ACAP people that um, the uh, military health insurance was TRICARE was going to continue to cover us for six months after we got out. Mm -hmm. Turns out that's only applicable to people who are getting dishonorably like kicked out of the army. And I don't know why I thought I was getting kicked out of the army. Like that was definitely like very much an honorable discharge, you know, like right. I, I don't know why they made that assumption about me, but um we did. We found out the hard way when we. Went to, my wife's a type one diabetic, and uh, you know, went to the pharmacy to go pick up her insulin prescription. We found out like, oh, we don't have health insurance anymore. Oh shit, and that's expensive too. Oh yeah, like type one diabetes is not a cheap thing no. to handle. Like out of pocket, you know, it, it's not like we had like, oh, we had to go pay for an emergency room visit out of pocket. It's like, no, this is something that we have to pay for every single month. Right. Um, for supplies and insulin and doctor's visits and these different specialists and, you know, and so it's just like, holy shit. So now you're like all of these things add up. And then there was, um, I think, like, so like the financial thing was definitely like a slap in the face. And then all of a sudden, like the business stuff that I was doing, because I tried to scale it so quickly. I think I made some poor decisions, but I tried to scale it so quickly that now I think I quickly found myself out of my own depth. And um that contributes some stuff and then you start to second guess everything that you're doing because so many things are going wrong you start to second guess being out of the military yeah <laughs> and then like i said found out that lauren was pregnant like get the all that happening oh, shit. and it was just like 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 i said it was like it was just really you know difficult trying to figure all that stuff out and yeah. um and then at the time of happening this is all around the time that like isis is cropping up and um like when i got out i felt pretty good about getting out because it kind of seemed like everything was you know like the president said we're pulling out of afghanistan and we, there was like massive drawdown going there we were out of iraq 
And all of a sudden, things were, like, popping up. And I was, like, hearing stuff through the grave that the boy that wasn't making the news, you know. And I'm yeah. just like, man, what did I do? So you're second-guessing yourself on everything. Nothing is going right. Like, it just... Um, all of this led into this all just started like snowball for me because then like we moved away from Syracuse to Colorado because of our financial situation. I, like I was doing CrossFit and stuff. I love CrossFit Syracuse. Like, like I said, made lifelong friends that, um, now we couldn't like afford a gym membership. I was doing everything that I could to make my business work and working literally like my wife will tell you 16 to 20 hours a day. And so I wasn't doing anything and I started picking these really unhealthy eating habits. Like I gained a ton of weight, like uh, enough weight that I, I'm definitely back in the right direction now at this point, but I'm still yeah. definitely a lot heavier than I was when I left the army. And right. it all happened in that like two year period after I got out where just like I said, and, uh, and yeah, it took me a while to like really, you know, and our relationship, you know, especially since this is like a dad oriented thing, like, I'll tell you, man, like all of these stressors, you know, and the thing gain does to you and second guessing yourself and financial issues, this all created this recipe towards now we're having relationship problems. Yeah. Now we're having talks about like, what, like, is this thing going to work wise and stuff like that? And it like things really culminated quickly to a point where the water was starting to kind of boil over through the, you know, uh, over the top of the pot you know yeah. and uh, it just made like i said it was like one of those things where like, even as i say it out loud right now this is like if i heard another dude talking about this, I'd be like oh fuck man like that's a bad situation dude like you need yeah. to, you need to fix yourself you know i didn't see it that way at that time because i i kept trying to like okay take one thing at a time one day at a time which i think is not bad advice but i don't think i realized that i need to be taking more drastic measures in basically every part of my life and not maybe maybe one day at a time wasn't enough and i right. need to take more drastic measures to get myself back on the right track and my marriage back on the right track and that's eventually what we ended up doing yeah and what was it what did you have in, like what came in and kind of helped you get out of that uh, hole that you were in so um thankfully i realized that the business i was doing which it kind of turned out to be like in retrospect I think it would be seen today the stereotypical vet business of get out and start selling t-shirts and stuff like that and running a blog. And mm -hmm. um, I kind of figured out like, that's not what I want to do. I did discover that I really had a passion for writing and I was pretty decent at it. Published a book. The book did okay. Um, not enough to get us out of the situation that we were in, but it was like, I had these, you know, we had a documentary and a short film that we did that both won at film festivals. And I really became solidified and like, okay, like, I need to do this. this. This is where I'm being successful. Let's double down on where we're being successful. And that's me getting into the storytelling business and double down on this, this media sort of thing. And so I started doing that. And um, my wife, I remember one day we were sitting in our apartment in Colorado. like, And um, she was scrolling through Instagram or something and found this post from somebody that was like a teardrop camper that they converted and they were like traveling around the country and living out of this teardrop camper. And she showed it to me and <clears throat> she was like, Oh, look at this. this? And I kind of, I think I almost maybe called her on her bluff. I don't think it was a bluff, but I don't think she thought I would, I, I was like, you know, if you wanted to do something like that, I'd be like totally down. And she was like, seriously. And we, and we sat there on the floor in our room in our apartment in Colorado for like two hours. And at the end of that conversation, we kind of arrived at, let's go buy a van Let's tear it out and turn it into like like one of those van life things. 
and go travel the country with our daughter. See that? Yeah, I'm gonna because I, I, I saw the stuff that you were doing. I saw the stuff that you were doing, and I was gonna ask you about that. Like, how were you able to? I didn't realize you were doing all that shit with your family. Like, yeah. So, like, all right, that, that makes. I was, I was gonna ask, like, how does a married man with a kid just go on the road and just become a nomad for? You want to find out if your if your marriage is gonna work in the long haul or not? Put you, your kid, and your dog all in a Ford Econoline van and spend a year in that thing together. Yeah, it's nuts. Downs and man, if you can survive that, your your marriage is freaking rock solid. Yeah. Um, and and that's what we did. It was like I feel like we pressure tested our marriage, but we did it in a way that we we eliminated every other possible thing that could stress our relationship. We prioritized our relationship by cutting everything else out and moving into this van and traveling the country. And we came out of it really strong. Um, we ended up having to cut the trip two months short. My dad was sick, but, um, that was like the thing, like we just, we cut all the unnecessary stuff out. We started over from square one and then started building back on that. And yeah, that so, was like, that was the turning point. That was like everything turned around from there. Yeah. So that's awesome. I mean, cause I mean, getting out, I had some of the same problems, probably not as amplified as yours were, but you are, you're worried about paying bills. You're worried about, you know, insurance, you know, all these things, getting a career, getting a career that you actually like. Cause most of the time you don't you don't just fall into the, like hey I love this job you're actually mm-hmm. doing shit that you don't want to do mm-hmm. but it's like you know how how much more you, you don't think about it first because you know you, you need a you think you need a house you need all the other material things that we get that I got and I do in some ways but um, mm-hmm. but you know like I guess like you just give it all up and go on the road and next thing you know like you've eliminated probably like half the problems like half the shit that you're working your ass off to try to pay for you know like you've I don't know. It seems like it's actually a, a good a good idea, but uh, yeah. I mean, you definitely got to have some balls to just say, "Hey, I'm gonna go on the road for a year." <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's. I I do think, like, you know, nobody ever gets anywhere in life without kind of taking some calculated risks here and there, yeah. um, and uh, you know, I think that that was probably our, you know, hey, we're, <laughs> you know, we're stuck in the trend. You know, we're not going to get we're not going to be able to make progress on the enemy until we go up and over the trench. And, right. you know, yeah, it's a big risk. We might lose a bunch of people, but we're not moving forward. Right. You know, by sitting here not doing anything. Yeah. And I think that was kind of that moment for us. And, yeah, we sold I mean, we sold our TV, our couch, our furniture. The only thing we did, we put just like basically those like family heirloom type items in one five by five uh, storage unit in Colorado Springs. I mean, literally, it was just, like, stuff that, like, her wedding dress, my class A's, like, yeah, you know, sure. stuff like that. Like, it was not a lot of stuff. We we got rid of everything in our life. Like, we stripped our materials down to next to nothing and um, and just kind of started over. And, and we're like and, – and that allowed us to just focus on – and look, you know, look, when you're out on the road, you don't have internet access all the time. You don't have a TV there. Right. You, you when you have a fight, you have to deal with it because there's no storming off into the other room. There's no hopping in the car and driving off somewhere. Like you live in the vehicle that you're in. You have to do, you have to address this problem. Yeah. You know, like you have no choice but to communicate and go and, and move past that stuff. And the same thing with a kid, like baby is it have to deal with it. Like you have like I don't know. And, and the thing was is like it wasn't this like it wasn't this brutal thing. Like we constantly talk about how we miss the van life. Like we had some incredible experiences, some experiences we will, I'm certain never be able to replicate 
the rest of our life. Like we saw our country, we visited, ended up being 44 states, the national parks, the things that we saw, just like getting to see these towns that we traveled through from a different perspective of, we saw America from a different perspective. Yeah. And that was just, it, it was really beautiful. You know, that's like happy, but it was, it was like a really beautiful year for us. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like the ultimate reset button, dude. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, and we came out of that, even though we went from that into a, what was a very tough period of my life for me, got diagnosed with ALS, so we had to move back to South Dakota, but man, we were so rock solid, like I said, that foundation that we had rebuilt, we had reinforced that foundation there, and um, on that band trip, that we're like, man, we went into some tough stuff dealing with my family and, and a dad that was dying and things like that, we were ready for everything after that, we took it, we, we took it on, like, and to this day, we're, you know, we're rock solid, you know? Yeah. And, right. and I don't think what we did with on that band trip. Yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds like something like, you know, that's, that's like better than going to marriage counseling. Um, but uh, It's probably the more extreme version. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like I said, it's, it's definitely like a, a ballsy move, but it's just something if you do it, there's so much, so much you can be benefit out of it. I mean, I mean, how many, how many vets do you know that kind of like once they got out, they just, they just kind of just took off, you know? Bought a, you know, bought, bought an RV or something, or not an RV, but like whatever, like a, a van hooked it. Like my brother did that. He, uh, when he got out of the army, he he bought a big van, went out to Colorado, lived in the van for like two or three years. Yeah. yeah he just, just enjoyed life, like went on big adventures. I mean, completely reset his life. You know, he he's doing great just, you know, because of those experiences he had. And like just kind of got to see what was important to him. And like instead of just like rushing into, you know, a career he didn't want or, you know, forced himself to do things that he just didn't really feel like he was mentally prepared to do at the time. Yeah, I think it really does, but like, when you uh, when you adopt that lifestyle, um, it really focuses or it really forces you to address any issues you're having in your life because there's no way to run away, nowhere to run away, right? Have to address these issues, and there's no way to distract yourself from. I feel like I think that's a problem with a lot of you know, when you talk about like veterans and transition and stuff like that, there's a lot of dudes that can kind of just like not deal with their issues that they're having. Do everything from drinking or drugs to playing video games or watching TV or, or work or you know, like when you do that van life thing, like you have to get real freaking honest with yourself in a hurry. Right. Like, and, and I think that that's ultimately like a really good thing. And one of the, you know, and I totally, I'm one of these guys that like, I think that there's, people that absolutely should do it um, and can do it. Um, I think that there's people that they can't do it. And I, I think that there's definitely a percentage of those people that think they can't do it, but actually can. They're just not being honest with themselves about how real it's going to get. Right. Um, and then I think that there's like a certain percentage of people that probably want to do it and actually can do it. Yeah. Do it. And, you know, but I do think it's something that like, if you're in the right spot in your life and like, be really honest with yourself about, where you're at but like i think it's something that a lot of people should consider you know yeah i it's, i think it's beautiful but how do we so how do we go through that you know you go to that adventure you're out of the army to get to like where you're at now because you're 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 working for black rifle company i watched a bunch of your um i guess would you call them documentaries that you've done uh you're embedded with you know dudes with beards and, and cool weapons in afghanistan uh you know you're going to the beaches of normandy or whatever you're going to all these cool places like how did you get to this part in your life? Like, I mean, the stuff that you're doing, it seems like it's more about being like creative and you're putting out this content, but it's not easy to get known or be able to make a living for it. Like, I'm not trying to do anything huge with my podcast right now. Cause I've only been doing it for a few months, but even like 
just trying to grow it now it's it's not an easy thing no. to do it's and it's like and not that like how, how do you do it like do you find the right people I've, I've had some pretty decent sized people on podcasts and still you know sponsors aren't calling me or or you know other big names aren't calling me i'm still pretty much unknown and it's i'm okay with that but it's just like how did you get to where you were get because i mean like i said it doesn't happen overnight like just because you create content doesn't mean people want to listen to it or watch it yeah um the thing that i'll say is like it because i get this from like i'll get people that'll like hit me up on instagram or twitter and be like oh i want to go in bed with you know or go back to afghanistan like how how do i do that i'm like i don't know spend six or seven years like right practically destroy your life in the process trying to get good at something like you know i don't you know and i think the path is different for everybody and but for me it was like i went through this iterations of like it all started back in auburn new york with me writing that first thing that kind of led me to starting a business that led me to a book and documentaries and then you know and then leaving the business behind to focus entirely on just kind of like betting on myself and becoming a freelance writer and getting editors to take a chance on me and then you know uh, promise over deliver every time and um like it's a real process you know like it doesn't like it's i i have and continue to put everything that i have into doing this because it is something i'm passionate about and i do like my work it is not every day is as glamorous as it may look from, you know, like, oh, I'm globetrotting around the world. And, you know, like, that is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But there's also a lot of stuff that you don't see that goes into that. And, and certainly I didn't just wake up one day and, and, and call it Black Rifle and be like, hey, we give me all the stories I want to do. You know, like, you have to really prove yourself. And um, it takes time. It takes, like, it really like I think with anything, it's like it takes time and dedication. And in the process of doing this for me, like I have neglected other parts of my life that like I'm now coming around to like I need to do better at like fitness and, yeah. you know, you know, taking care of myself, like, you know, not just like working, out, getting enough sleep, like d doing these things that like if you don't take if you don't do that, like maintenance on yourself, like it's going to really hurt you in the long run and but i i prioritize successful in this endeavor like the storytelling endeavor so much that everything else took a backseat you know um and it took that van trip to even get me to at least prioritize my wife and my daughter this which is i think we're at a good balance now um but you know before that i was so prioritized that it was like i said it was unhealthy um and so yeah when you talk you know, I, I didn't stay much like the time. Like I said, I gave up the business and kind of just bet on myself as a freelancer to get work and kind of prove myself in other venues um, while we were doing the van life thing. So I was writing for a couple of different outlets there, um, trying to film stuff. I actually filmed the, the whole van life together into a documentary. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Didn't have a good camera. I just did it on a cell phone. Um, um, so that'll come out eventually. Uh, but, um, you know, we get done with that and then Dakota where I grew up to be with my dad for about a year and a half continue to write I at that point got my first tv show um some producers from history called and I made it through the audition process and was on a history channel show it was only on for one season it didn't really go anywhere but that was like a big step you know and showed me what a like a big legitimate production looked like not just like this little indie thing that I'd been doing but so that exposed me to different things um 
And then uh, right at the end of that, after my dad died, we moved out to New Hampshire. And right at that, that's when I got my first embed. That went really well. Um, put me on a kind of a different level. And then after that, started talking to Black Rifle. They brought me in a startup magazine. First thing I did when I started the magazine, got another embed lined up. That was the videos that you saw. That went really well. And it was just kind of like one thing after another. It's never... Yeah. And I still feel like I'm continuing to try to prove myself. And it's like, I don't think I'm at the end point where I'm at right now. I, th I think where I'm at right now is where a lot of people work really hard for a long time to get to. Yeah. But I'm still not where I want to be yet, like with what I'm able to do and what I think my potential is. But it's it's like you come to realize, especially at this point for me, it's one step at a time. You got to knock down those 50 meter targets, right. knock down the 100 meter, so on and so forth. And uh, and taking it and just being like, I have to be back and not worry so much about what I'm going to be doing one year, you know, because if I'm not at what I do today, one year from now, it's not going to happen. Right you know? now. So are you so, so you're you're this is how you make your life, right? This is how you pay your bills or all these little things you're doing now. Yep. So, so um, so I mean, I guess like the, the, the kind of like the whatever the moral of your story, if, if, if I had to pick one, like, you know, what I'm learning from you is that like, you know, like you gotta be patient and you gotta get through the hard times. Like, like, you know, like that first few months or whatever year that you, did, you and your wife did and shit got really nasty. Uh, you gave up everything to go on a fucking uh, cool ass, uh, you know, van trip. You go there, you, you do your little hippie thing for a little bit. Um, and you, you figure some shit out. And, and then from there you just come back and you just play it real slow. You know, you kept you kept you know you're passionate about one thing. You kept going with that, exploiting that, and then what? Just meeting the right people, making the right decisions. You know, keeping things I think, simple. I think when I came off the van trip, I was much more focused and like more. You know, you're you're coming out the. If you're watching the movie of this, the van trip is cheesy montage. You know, yeah. of training for the big fight. And then coming right. out the end of that, you know, that montage, that was like that point for that's me. What like, I was, okay, yeah, that's okay. what it felt like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm focused now. I know what I need to do. I know what I got to get good at. Like, all right, let, let, like I got to go execute now. And that's what I started doing. And like stuff started happening, like the TV show. And, and um, you know, it's funny, like when I auditioned for the TV show, the first thing you do is a Skype call. Um, we Like my daughter got lice at from like one of the other kids uh, around town. And so... She brought lice home. We got lice. I had to shave my head, shave every, like, and so I had to do this audition, like, looking like a poodle that just got, you know, waxed or something, like, you know, and, and but I still, like, you know, I was like, all right, can't control that. Don't worry about what you can't control. I'm going to go on there and just give them the best side of me that I can, be as well-spoken as I can, you know, try to prepare for it. And I knew what the show was about, researched it. And, you know, so that was like, and each time that you knock one of those things down, it like builds your confidence to go on to the next thing and gives you more ammo for getting the next thing that you're going to do. And at that time, it really was, what's the next thing? Because I was a freelancer at that point. Now I'm, you know, like a W-2 full-time employee. So I don't have to worry so much about like, what's, how am I going to pay the bills next month? But um, that focused make reasonable goals and then and then kill those goals you know oh, yeah. like, like kill it well that's why i, I found like kind of like, like just real interesting about not just you but like you know i follow um with vincent varget or rocco yeah I and mean, also i follow all the other guys like jt and um you know matt best and all those guys but the, the main reason i like like i really like 
like a follow them so well is because like for one, there's stories out there for you to see. Like, I mean, it's if you want to go learn about those guys, they got tons of content. But like the thing is, they all started off kind of like you, like these weird situations. Uh, they did one thing, and then one thing led to another, and they kept being creative. They kept putting content, you know, especially like the Matt Best and the JT. When you learn about like what they did with like the videos and into like the uh, the Article 15 clothing line, into this, then they make a movie, and the Black Rifle Coffee, and then it's just like it's like. I wish it was like a, I wish it was a manual. Day. No, it's yeah. not. It's like they could literally. I don't know how they would do it, but they could write a manual, like like how to like get out of the military and, and make something of yourself. And I'm not saying people aren't. You know, I mean the, the entrepreneur route is. I think, you know, it's, to me, it's very it's something that's very appealing to me. But it's just like like most of us, we just get out and like you know just get into whatever job we can get into and. You know, two years later, you want to shoot yourself in the head because you just because now you get kind of stuck and you don't really want to, you know, you really don't know what to do because now you're comfortable because now you know like kind of like I, I am paying the bills in my house or I am you know financially I'm secure but like mentally and emotionally I'm just not where I want to be in life. But those guys they seem to like just they took chances. Uh, I don't know. It's, I wish there was like a manual like how all these guys because now really I'm all of them like they're all millionaires. Uh, Rocco's on a TV show, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's all doing, and they're all doing things they love. And when you look at their Instagram, it's just like there's just like so much happiness, and they're hanging out with their friends. It's just like, you know, like you just look at it like, man, like I wish I knew what those guys did. And I, and when you find out, it's not easy. It wasn't like an easy way. It wasn't an easy route paid for them. There was a lot of like blood, sweat, and tears. You know, a lot but, of failures that you don't see. Right. You know, yeah. and I think that that like you know you talk about like Emmanuel. I don't think there's one. I think you could replicate everybody and still not end up where they're at. I think right. that there is a certain amount of like every it's like that with like actors and stuff like that. Every one of them, they'll say, well, how did you get the big one? How did you become an A-list celebrity? Every single one of them has had a different path that they got that, you know, and I think really what it just comes down to is the will to, to get to that point. I don't think anybody ends up in the NFL that didn't aspire to be in the NFL as a little kid. Right. You know what I mean? Like uh, a millionaire out there who didn't aspire to be a millionaire, you know, like, like, I think that you have to have these really lofty, there's no astronaut out there who didn't aspire to be an astronaut. Right. That's when I was a recruiter and I'd have these kids that would come in and be like, I want Delta Force. And I honestly, I was like, <clears throat> I think the reaction of most recruiters is to laugh at them, but you know what? Like I got friends that are there, you know, yeah. like I know it's achievable. I know that if you put in the hard work and like you could end up in one of these super leagues, Nobody ends up in Delta Force who didn't aspire to be in Delta Force. You had right. to have that audacious goal first. You had to say, I want to play for the Patriots. You had to say, I want to win a Super Bowl before you do it. Like, nobody does that on accident. Nobody stumbles into these higher tiers of life. You know, Evan Hafer right. didn't stumble into running a multi-million dollar coffee company. He worked his ass off for years. Yeah. There was a, he bet everything, you know? And I think it is like, you have to, it's like you said, I think a lot of people get into this comfort zone or whatever, and they just always think that that lofty goal is that happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. It happens right. to other people. And I'm like, no, you have to kind of like dare to, to have the lofty goal that you might fail in the pursuit of. You might fail a couple times, you know, certain things. I'm sure there's people out there who like want to be an astronaut tried out and they got close and they never became an astronaut just because the cards never lined up and it's like you have to be willing to put those emotional chips on the table and bet them and push them all in knowing that you might not get them back that you might I mean, be a sobering moment you know 
Yeah, but I mean, I guess even though, even if you don't really reach that, like, you know, like, if you wanted to be an astronaut, you got all the way there, you just didn't make it to the end, but, like, think about all the other stuff you did and what kind of doors that opened up for you. You know, like, like, the, like the, the dream of being a rock star, the dream of being a rock star. Like you, you put all your things, you learn these instruments, you're a musician, you're great at the guitar, you're great at piano, you can sing, and you don't quite make it to be a rock star, but but you have a lot of skills. Next thing you know, you're a music teacher or you're you're teaching lessons at you know jazz guitar at a music. You know, you're still you're still in music. You're still doing things that you love, yeah. right? Yeah. No. Exactly. Like I mean, look at again. I like I like a lot of people don't realize the actors, actresses, actors, actresses that are working actors and actresses make a living doing it, but they're not household names. You might decide like I want to win an Oscar someday or or be that like a list celebrity. But what if you just end up as like that background like cast member on like a cable television show where people are like, I vaguely kind of think I recognize you from somewhere, but but like you're making a, you're acting, you're making a living. You're, you maybe you never became Chris. Like you're doing your thing. You know, you aspired there and you still ended up somewhere. And either way, though, the thing is, like, even if you don't end up there, nobody gets to that point unless they make that risk, that gamble. They yeah. had to aspire for it. They had to say that goal. I'm going to go be X and then do whatever they can to make it there. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But everybody that did make it there didn't get there by accident. They didn't get there by not acknowledging that that was a goal. And I think for me and the stuff that I'm doing, I kind of had to at a time where it was like the responsible thing for me to do would have been to go get a nine to five job and start on the bills and and not like quit putting my family's finances in jeopardy and, you know, like get, get something that had benefits and, you know, like that would have been the responsible thing to do. And right. I, you know, and credit to my wife supported me every step of the way. Like we, you know, I made the gamble and, and I made multiple gambles. I mean, I put it on the, I put it on the line so many times that it doesn't even feel, it's like once you, the first time you jump out of an airplane, risky thing you do but after like that 20th jump you're like it doesn't even register you know or like it, it's like that at this point where like taking risks now doesn't even feel it doesn't even register as a risk anymore it's just like oh this is what i have to do and maybe it'll work out maybe it won't but i ain't gonna get any so fuck it let's do it you know like that's kind of where i'm at now at this point so and i think that people you know like i said to get to these really lofty goals that's kind of the mindset you have to have yeah well that's, that's really good stuff but uh you got some more uh, embedded stuff coming up, right? If I'm not mistaken, you're going back to Iraq. Yeah. Um, so that one, so I'm leaving for Iraq on Wednesday, but that's just a quick little, I'm just taking some coffee over for the boys and, uh, okay. and, and girls that are over there. Um, just going to drop some coffee off and then I'll be back, oh, you know, okay. Sunday. This is going to be a real quick thing. Just wanted to get something out to him before the holidays. Yeah. And um, I think that's the nice thing about black rifles. Like when we say like we support people in uniform, like we really do. Like I'm going to, yeah, yeah, there's no one better than those guys. Um, yeah, yeah, like it's a real genuine thing, and there's a lot of stuff that people don't see, you know, that happens behind the scenes that we do to support stuff, and um, and for me, it's just kind of a cool way to go over and, you know, just pack up a couple of duffel bags full of coffee and get it out to some people, and you know, um, but I do have other stuff coming up. We've actually, uh, so some of the, the like the videos we do, um, we just. I I kind of liken it to we moved out of our parents' basement. Um, we all of our videos were on the Black Rifle Coffee YouTube page as a playlist on there. Now we have our own YouTube channel, so I definitely encourage people to subscribe to that. Um, that's, that's the coffee or die, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so it's got its own YouTube channel now. Um, and so we run a what I would call like a web series there, where it's all those videos are they're actually episodic. 
we try to put them together like this kind of like pseudo TV show. Mm-hmm. And um, the ones that we have coming up, we've got two more things coming out of the 75th anniversary of D-Day. That's actually like a three-part thing for us because we have so many good stories out of it. And then after that, we've got um, – I embedded with uh, some special forces guys over in Europe for a big um, exercise they did over there. That will be coming out uh, first um, – went and climbed Kilimanjaro last month, so we'll put that out in December as well. Um, and that has nothing to do with the military. That's just, again, kind of like that broader, hey, let's yeah. go have an adventure and yeah. do something cool and, and put it on camera, you know. Um, December. And, yeah, I've got some other – I actually just had a call with a public affairs guy um, yesterday, and we've got some more – can't really talk about them yet, but definitely, you know, one of the things that I kind of aspire to do is be like this generation, like the GWAT generations or any pile, you know, and just go and yeah. tell these great, like, human interest <laughs> stories Right. Uh, like, it's not necessarily like what I'm doing for Coffee or Die is not always like this hard news sort of thing. I definitely, you know, tell things in an intelligent way and stuff, but it's not like hard breaking news type of stuff. It's more, let's tell the story of these guys and gals that are out on the front lines today and on whether it's the front lines of training or, or in actual combat and go go where they are, sleep where they, they're sleeping, go live in the mud and the dirt with them for a little bit and tell their story, you right. know? I think that's a real shame because some of the best people we have in this country are the people that are out there, you know, curling up in their wooby at night, you know? Yeah. yeah. So like, I want to go tell their story, you know? And so I've been doing what I can to line those opportunities up and we've definitely, you know, like I said, we've got some good stuff coming up that we've already got filmed and, and I've been lining up some really cool stuff for 2020 and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to telling stories, telling some good stories. I mean, I can't wait. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to all the things because I'm hooked. I've been watching the uh, Coffee or Die. You know, obviously I follow the Black Rifle guys pretty pretty religiously. But, uh, man, uh, we're almost in an hour, dude. I just want to go ahead and uh, yeah. kind of wrap this thing up. And, you know, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, but, yeah, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's always cool. And, like, um, you know, I, I do appreciate, like, you reaching out and being like, hey, you want to come on this podcast? And, like, I love talking about kind of the, the stuff and, and kind of like, you know, my journey so far. And um, I do think it does help. Like, like I listen to these things all the time from other people. And so if kind of like talking about some of my stuff helps somebody else, that's a really cool thing. I think that we've all got to, kind of, you know, yeah. we don't tell our stories like nobody's going to no, Everybody's going to think that they're alone in this world and they're not right. like I, my experience is not unique, you know. Like there's there's plenty of other people that have been through the highs that I've gone through and the lows that I've gone through. More that we can see that, and, and if I can give some visibility to what, maybe what some people are going to go through when they get out of the army, I don't know. You know, I, I try to do what I can. So I appreciate you coming on and giving me a platform to talk about that. All right, man. Well, good luck with these uh, future endeavors, and uh, I'll reach out to you sometime in the near future. Okay. All right. Sounds All right, good. Take it easy.